I'm Alexis. I'm Mallory. And this is Newtcast. All right, guys, here we are again. This is our sixth episode. I can't believe it. I know, we've made it this far. Look at us go. Going strong. <laughs> We're super excited today. Ilvermorny is such a huge topic, so we're going to have to go pretty quickly through it. So, we have a guest today. Her name is Celeste. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Celeste. I'm from Idaho Falls. I graduated from the same college as these two beautiful women that I sit by. My houses are Pukwudgie and Ravenclaw. Oh my Yay. gosh, you're like an intersection between the two of us. <laughs> Wait, remind me what you are. I'm Ravenclaw and Horn Serpent. Okay. I'm Puckwedgie and Hufflepuff. That's right! Okay. <laughs> okay, cute. We should have put you between us so we'd be like a Venn diagram. Venn <laughs> <laughs> diagram of people. So they've asked me my favorite character, and my two instant favorites have always been Luna Lovegood and Ginny Weasley, who are both strong female characters in their own rights. I appreciate that Ginny is traditionally badass, and I appreciate yeah. that Luna is more quietly badass. What's your story with Harry Potter, then? Uh, wee little Celeste redheaded child that I was. My dad is very, very religious, and he had heard about this huge Harry Potter craze, right? You know, I'm like 11, 12, and all he knew about it was that it was about witchcraft. So being the very religious person that he was, I was not allowed to read the Harry Potter books. So um, I promptly checked them out from the library, hid them <laughs> in my backpack, read them by flashlight in my bed at night, and became a closet Harry Potter maniac. Wow. <laughs> He's fine about it now. Don't worry. I'm not going to, like, die for doing this. But uh, <laughs> yeah. just brought to me the image of, like, Harry studying Under the his. blanket. <laughs> by Lumos. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's so precious. Exactly. So all of this is, I, it still has that little bit of magic for me of my parents don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we get started, quick note. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes to help people find us. And today's topic is Ilvermorny School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. But before we get into that, let's move on to Potter Watch. So in Harry Potter news this past couple of weeks, for the cursed child, things seem to be slowing down a bit. I I'm, I'm very cautious either. about saying that actually, but the only news I've seen is which actor was feeling a little bit poorly oh, this week. Oh, Jamie Parker. Yeah, yeah. So he has the flu. Somebody stepped in. Oh, I'd be so curious to see that performance. Right. Yeah. That's exactly my thoughts. So in Pottermore news, J.K. Rowling tweeted this last week that there is an announcement related to a Patronus quiz for Pottermore that's coming very close. Hi, Alexis from the future here, just cutting in while I was editing because the Patronus quiz actually was released. So if you haven't already, go check it out, get your Patronus. We will talk about that next time. All right, onward. So the new Pottermore books came out. Uh, I still haven't read them directly, have you? No. Okay, Wait. we'll get there. Have you? I'm not even certain what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just how much they have not been discussed. The ebooks they released, there's like okay. three ebooks. Just you can buy collections like of Pottermore stories with like new things a little bit. Oh, okay. Like, and this is what you guys stuff. were talking about last episode, right. like a little bit of ghostwriting kind yeah. of going on. Yeah. All right. But um, I looked through a list of all of the things that are new. It sounds like it's worth a casual read, but it's nothing like drastic or something that would be noteworthy for Fantastic Beasts, except for maybe a bit of clarification on Animagi, how that works, and how they're related to your Patronus, because apparently whatever your Patronus is, is your Animagus form. I thought you got to choose your Animagus form. So, I was wrong. Yeah, I thought you did too. Yeah, I no. didn't, but I didn't think that they would be the same form, which I don't know why. <laughs> it sense that they would, but... Yeah. So, for Fantastic Beasts, it's, again, strangely quiet. Hasn't been a lot, from what I understand, so moving Fair on enough. from that. I mean, just some kind of miscellaneous news. Apparently, the house that they use to film the Harry Potter movies, number four Privet Drive, is now up for sale for around £475,000, which is roughly $628,000, which, hmm. you know, is a lot for a three-bedroom house, but not, Truly. you know, extravagant for that house. So some kid may get to uh, 
play in the Potter's house. house. <laughs> <laughs> That's Aww. pretty cool. Your child also can be relegated <laughs> to the cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> the very same where orphan Harry Potter had to grow up. Come on, tell me that that realtor isn't having the time of her life. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my gosh. All right, let's get into our main segment. So we're opening the suitcase. This is Ilvermorny. The location of Ilvermorny starts off talking about how it's on Mount Greylock, which is the highest natural point in Massachusetts. Which, by the way, is a real place. That's it's the actual name. And it's, yeah. There's a, it's, yeah, it's the highest point in Massachusetts. So you know that eventually in my lifetime, I got to go there. Mount Greylock. <laughs> oh, and go Ilvermorny hunting. Oh, my gosh. It's enchanted. There's a misty cloud enshrouding it. Um, no magis cannot see it. Which is very curious to me because it was definitely founded by one, but we'll get there. Ah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the afterwards of right enchanted after the fact, but we'll come back. We'll get to that. So it seems to have had Irish beginnings. Founder, now tell me how to say this. I say Isolt Sayre. I yeah. think you're probably right. Uh, born in 1603, she was born of pure bloods. Her father is William Sayre, who is a descendant of Morrigan, who's a famous Irish witch with a crow and a magus. Um, he nicknamed Isolt Morrigan because she had an affinity with nature, which is really precious. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. Her childhood was peaceful, happy. Her parents helped the muggles around her until they were killed in a fire when she was five, and she was rescued by her aunt, Gormley Gaunt. Always a troubled childhood. Okay, you know she has to be a villain, though, with a name like yeah. Gormley Gaunt. <laughs> it's very Irish as well. Yes. Gormley is the estranged sister of her mother, and the purpose of her saving uh, Isolt is she was worried that she would be uh, married to muggles or associated with non-purebloods. Yeah, basically she just wanted to uh, save her from her parents' way of viewing things and kind of indoctrinate her into... Hating non-magical people. <clears throat> Lovely. But fortunately for her, that didn't really work out. She grew up hearing stories of Hogwarts, even though her aunt, you know, would talk about it and kind of bash it and say it was this awful place where they weren't taught the ways that apparently Salazar Slytherin wanted. But Isolde would hear these stories and think of it as sort of paradise away from her awful aunt. Well, first off, there's wands there. She was wandless. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me because she later became a teacher of wand magic. So she was either like crazy brilliant or we just don't know the extent to which her aunt actually taught her even though she didn't allow her her own wand. I feel like if you're uh, cut off from something, you have a even more interest than normal and you would mm. become naturally quite brilliant. Hence your addiction to Harry Potter. I mean, I'm not saying anything about myself, but I feel a kinship to that. Wow. There's a connection. Honestly, I just find it interesting that she is taken in by her aunt. Her aunt tells her that uh, magic people... The opposite, though. Rather than Harry moving in with Aunt Petunia and Aunt Petunia saying, oh, these terrible wizards, you never can... She he, she had the opposite experience, Whoa, which yeah, I find true. is really parallel and adorable. And I didn't I think that either. <laughs> so then at age 17, she uh, steals her aunt's wand and basically books it to England, but then her aunt pursues her there, so she cuts off her hair, disguises herself as a muggle boy named Elias Story, and sailed on the Mayflower to the Americas in 1620. So just so everyone knows, Elias Story was a real person, we don't actually know much about him because he didn't sign the Mayflower Compact. It is assumed that he was under 18 or 21, and then he died in the first winter that they were there. So we don't actually know about this guy very much, which is convenient. <laughs> so now we get to steal him. I just love that he's a real person. And I love that his name, what do you call it when it's an is anagram? It anagram or? I think no. no, yes. Yeah, it's an anagram. Anagram? Okay. It's an anagram of yeah. her actual name. What? And Isolt it's so Sarah. brilliant. Isolt Sayre to lie a story because of the other There's part of double, this. There's double, yeah, should we say we'll it wait now? It. We'll, wait we'll wait, wait. We'll okay, wait. we'll wait. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. I didn't realize it the first time I read through, but then the second time I was like, hold, like shut the front door. <laughs> <laughs> what the fresh heck? This is so cool. <laughs> hold the friggin' phone. Yeah. <laughs> what the fresh heck? <laughs> so. <laughs> so she left the group after she got to the New World, um, traveled alone. She did not know about the Native American magical community. Which, which I think is a real shame. Very interesting to me. So did Gormley just intentionally leave them out or just didn't know about them herself? 
I mean, I was I would assume she would keep up with wizarding news and stuff, yeah, even this if is she early though. So maybe they didn't know as much because it's by dreams and I right. guess the mm, too. I don't know. It's possible that she because she's already a little bit racist that she chose mm. to ignore them. I could see that as being a possibility. That's mm-hmm. maybe she doesn't probable. think their form of magic is valid, valid or valued because True. they don't have wands. Yeah, that would be a very European wizard way to go about it. Right. So anyway, she doesn't know that the Native American magical community exists, um, and therefore is very isolated, which is ter- like so sad to me. Um, unfortunately, she does not know the creatures around her and comes across a hide-behind. Which, okay, I kind of went hardcore into the Google land of all the magical creatures <laughs> that are mentioned in this. So I have a lot of lore to go through. Yes! Bear with me. I mean, this may not all apply necessarily to her version of these creatures, but these are sort of just collections of different versions of these stories to kind of give you an idea of what we may be able to expect if we ever come across these creatures again. Fantastic beasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the hide behind is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It hides behind things. The, I think this is my favorite of all the ones we came across because it's exactly the kind of spooky crap that is, like, directly up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, It was credited for the disappearance of loggers back in the day, and the idea is that they could contort their body to hide behind any tree, and then they would sneak up on people, kill them, drag them back to their lair, and eat their intestines. Yummy! Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I love this stuff. (laughs) Also, they were apparently repelled by alcohol, which, you know, how on earth would lumberjacks come up with that idea? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Did you know that the the jackalope is actually attracted to alcohol? I didn't come across that, and I researched the jackalope. Mm-hmm. Whiskey. Well. <laughs> That's how you catch a jackalope. Stop. Again, convenient. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're said to be really large and powerful, although pretty much every source you read on this kind of points out if you can't ever see them, how do you know? Because people who see them die. There was a story of Pecos Bill in which he was said to have caught one and donated it to a zoo. So I guess that's one way people could have found out. Murka. <laughs> I also found a fantastic Sasquatch enthusiast website love in it. which they were theorizing that hide-behinds were a species of Sasquatch. So I would love it if J.K. Rowling worked that in somehow. Amazing. That would be fabulous. The Sasquatch Rebellion. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. But anyway, that's the hide-behind. Most of the information we have about the Pukwudgie comes from Wampanoag mythology, but it also pops up in Ojibwe, Algonquin, Abenaki, Mohican. There's different versions of it stretching from, like, the U.S. Northeast all the way through, like, Southeast Canada and the Great Lakes region. So it's supposed to be around two or three feet tall. Looks like a human, but with a big old nose and fingers and ears, so kind of like what you would picture as, like, a troll. Hmm. Except it can. In some versions, it just has porcupine quills. In other versions, it shapeshifts into a porcupine slash man that stands on its hind legs. There's lots of different versions that say what sort of powers it has. Um, Some say it can disappear and reappear at will, create fire. Most versions say that it has some kind of poison arrows that it uses. It lures people to their desks, kidnaps people, pushes them off cliffs, uh, throws sand to blind them. In one version, they were once friendly to humans, but then turned against them. The Wampanoag one in particular believed that the Pukwudgies were originally friendly to humans, but then they became jealous because the Wampanoag people were worshipping their creation myth, uh, Moshop. They were jealous that the people adored this guy so much, so they decided to be little troublemakers, and the people went to Moshop for help, and his wife, Granny Squanit, collected the Pukwudgies and shook them until they're all confused and then threw them all over the New, Eng- New England area. Which really reminded so, me of the garden yeah, gnomes. Yeah, garden gnomes. That's what I'm getting too. Except in this version, a lot of them died when that happened. So oh. then they decided, hey, instead of just being troublemakers, we are going to start kidnapping children and burning villages and luring people to their deaths. So Ma Shop sent his five sons to fix the problem, but the Pukwudgies lured them away and shot them with magic arrows, and they all died, which made Squanit and Ma Shop angry. So they found as many of the Pukwudgies as they could and crushed them to death. And then oh the my. others, yeah, this is like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like 
So the others regrouped and lured Moshoff into the water and shot him. Some versions say that he died as a result. Others say that he simply became depressed and discouraged because everything had gone wrong and, and all his sons were dead. Either way, he doesn't show up in the mythology after that. There are other versions where the Pukwudgies can be helpful but should be treated with respect because then they become dangerous. I prefer that version. <laughs> <laughs> there's one interesting tidbit that I liked. Um, there's an alternate pronunciation, which is Bugwudgiman, which is kind of like Boogeyman. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, another version, they smell sweet and are associated with flowers. Oh, I love that one, too. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's keep that one. Let's keep that one. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some background on Pukwudgie for you. So, all that to say. <laughs> Sorry. I know. No, so, I'm literally so glad you told us. Me too. I've got so much stuff. <laughs> Isla came across a Pukwudgie that was injured by a hide-behind which she scared off with a curse, nursed it back to health, and he eventually, the Pukwudgie, declared himself her servant until he could repay the debt. Begrudgingly, he did so. I <laughs> thought it was very interesting. The very first spell that we hear her ever casting is a curse. Which makes sense. Because right. she'd know a lot of those giving her education. Right. Like, her aunt must have been cursing all those muggles, and that's the only thing that she really learned. So, huh. That and maybe, like, housework. I can't imagine getting around that. Like, you don't want to curse your housework. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have the birth of William. William the, the Puckwudgie. The grumbling to Isolt. Isolt? How are you saying her I name? I think it's Isolt. Oh, Isolt. I think you're probably right. I think I'm going to say Isolt. I have a website. Isolt. You ready? I'm ready. Isolt. What? Isolt? Isolt. Okay, well, I'll have to redo that. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that website, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of having memories of the video saying it differently, like it wasn't I sound, nah, but, but whatever. whatever. We'll see how we want, and you can just judge us. It's Isold. fine. Isold? So it did mention that she found his constant grumbling very amusing, so that's why she named him William after her own father. And their friendship was one that was almost unique between their species. So there mm. must be other friendships between Pukwudgies and humans, suggesting they're not all grumpy brats. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just taking my own uh, liberties on this Pukwudgie. <laughs> I love it when Alexis gets defensive of her house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what Pukwudgie is! <laughs> it's just in her nature. I'm loyal. <laughs> this is something I don't even know. That's a little bit scary. Okay, anyway, moving on. Okay, so the next segment, we just get thrown a whole bunch of magical creatures. So right. I'm just going to go for it, if that's cool. Go for it. So the Hodag, which is, I assume, how you pronounce it. This one is, like, straight up just weird white people doing their thing. It has its origins in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. As for its appearance, it has the head of a frog, the face of an elephant, these short, thick legs set off by huge claws, the back of a dinosaur, which I don't know what that's supposed to mean because there are a lot of dinosaurs out there. <laughs> um, Scales. And then a long tail with spears at the end. Sounds like... If I'm you great. get a chance, I highly recommend that you Google the Hodag <laughs> because it's hilarious. I don't see the elephant, though. Oh, the tusks. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's... There's literally one variation. Being from Minnesota, I get to say this. It's Wisconsin. I mean, who yeah. can understand anything they do? It's like Domo. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend you look it up. As for the background, um, in 1893, this land surveyor and kind of known prankster now, Eugene Shepard, um, claimed to have discovered this animal. So he rounded up a whole bunch of people <laughs> to go out in the woods and kill it. So they like came back hunting. claiming that they had to use dynamite to kill it. So they had <laughs> this charred animal as their evidence. And they said that it had become extinct because its main food source, which was white bulldogs, had become scarce in the area. <laughs> uh-huh. So Shepard claimed to have captured one alive later in 1896 and displayed it at the county fair. So eventually some scientists from the Smithsonian show up. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and then he had to admit that it was a hoax. So it's now the official symbol of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, and their local high school's mascot. I want to know how the heck J.K. Rowling came across this one, because it's so, like, area-specific. You think and she just Googled? I'm yeah, sure she just went, like, on a Google spree Google and just survey. looked up every American weird creature. American Creatures of Mythology. Page yeah. 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. That's wonderful. 
Okay, so the next one mentioned is the Snallygaster, which is a dragon-like creature that lives in the hills around Washington, D.C. and Frederick County, Maryland. That area was settled by German immigrants in the 1730s, um, which is after Isolt's story takes place. So that's interesting because the lore for it doesn't come into existence until after the story (laughs) takes place. So small whoops, but it's fine. Sorry, I just Googled this, and this is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. So they have these early accounts of a monster that they call the Schnellergeist, which just means quick ghost in German. Um, It's described as a half reptile, half bird with a metallic beak with sharp teeth and sometimes with tentacles. Yes, tentacles. Which they are seeing. (laughs) (laughs) They're sitting here on Google Images while I talk about this. It's good stuff. Okay, can I just say that there's one that's drawn with a a little speech bubble that says, Oh, be nice or I'll get you with my tentacles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's um, okay yeah continue so anyway according to the lore it flies silently and carries off victims um some accounts say that it sucks their blood terrific it's said to be repelled by seven pointed stars which you can still see painted on local barns in the area um really yeah that's adorable true story i love humans some have suggested that the legend was revived in the 1800s to scare freed slaves so that's an interesting tidbit mm, great Newspapers reported seeing a beast with huge wings, long-pointed beak, claws like steel hook, and an eye in the middle of its forehead. So, again, the Smithsonian. These guys must have had the best jobs. (laughs) (laughs) They offered a reward for the hide, um, and it's rumored that President Teddy Roosevelt put off a African safari so that he could go hunt it himself. Bless him. (laughs) I hope that's true. Also in the lore, it has an enemy called the Diwayo, which is a two-legged mammal with wolf-like features. I just want an entire other version of Fantastic Beasts, the North American edition. Um, The next one is more relevant to us because it is the Wampus, which is one of the houses for Ilvermorny. According to some, it comes from the Cherokee story of the Ewa, which is a spirit of madness. Sorry, Ewok? Ewa, or Ewa, probably. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm not trying to be I'm gonna pronounce insensitive. it. I'm going to pronounce it Ewa just to help us out here. Thank you. Um, so in one version of the story, the Wampus was a woman who disguised herself in a cougar skin to spy on the men of her tribe, but she was caught, so the tribe's medicine man turned her into a half-woman, half-cat. Another longer version, the Ewa, which is the spirit of madness, had been tormenting this village, so they sent their greatest warrior, Standing Bear, to kill it. Um, and he came back having gone completely mad, screaming, clawing his eyes out, good stuff. So his wife, Running Deer, wanted revenge, so she put on a mask with a bobcat face that the medicine men said could channel the spirit of the mountain cat that could kill the Awa, but it would only work if she could surprise the Awa. She followed her husband's trail and managed to surprise the Awa while it was drinking out of a stream which turned its magic back on itself and drove it mad. So now Running Deer's spirit inhabits the Wampus Cat as she protects her tribe lands from demons. Wow. Mm-hmm. I like that they're female. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a rural East Tennessee version in which the Wampus Cat is a spirit of death and the earth, and its cry signals that someone is going to die and be buried within the next three days. In Missouri, they call it the Galley Wampus. In Arkansas, <laughs> it's called the Whistling Wampus. And some versions say that it's a half-dog, half-cat. There is kind of a theme going on of warnings of death and also madness, so that's kind of fun and spooky. And the last one mentioned here is the Horned Serpent, which is another Ilvermorny house. This one shows up all over the place in Native American mythologies and also in Western Asia and in Europe. I didn't get into the um, Across the Pond versions because I felt like it wasn't as relevant to this and also just because there's so much stuff, but it's worth read if you get a chance. So a Muscogee legend says it was an underwater serpent with iridescent crystalline scales and a large crystal in its forehead. The scales and the crystal were prized for their powers of divination, yeah. which makes sense with this story about how he's like telling the future and stuff and making yeah. prophecies. And its horns were used for medicinal purposes, which also Naturally. kind of fits in with the snakewood tree that pops up later and has medicinal purposes. I'm just liking all these tie-ins here. A lot mm. of the mythologies describe the horns more like antlers than something like bull's horns or rhino horns, which is kind of the idea I was getting from this. 
Um, according to the Cherokee, it is as large around as a tree trunk with horns on its head and a bright blazing crest like a diamond on its forehead and scales that glow like sparks of fire. Um, it has spots of color along its entire body and can only be wounded by shooting the seventh one from its head, which is where its heart is. And anyone who could get the diamond could do great magic, but it was super dangerous because anyone who saw it was dazed by its light and would run toward it instead of away from it. And you would not be able to survive inhaling even a tiny bit of its breath which was poisonous wow and if you were to see it while it was asleep your entire family would die so it's a dangerous venture no joke yes um according to the sioux they were destroyed all but one of these creatures by the thunderbirds which were their natural enemy really? so oh, oh. Rivalry. right already a rivalry all Good right stuff. love it some believe that this legend was inspired by dinosaur and pterodactyl fossils found in the area. So that's kind of interesting. Love it. Um, other things that pop up in the lore about this are hypnosis, shape-shifting, giving the gift of medicine to humans who help them or defeat them, controlling weather. Um, for some, it was part of their creation myth. There was this idea that the horned serpents ruled the underworld and then the thunderbirds ruled the Heavens, skies and of course. all that good stuff. For others, it was a divine source of inspiration, invention, creativity, wisdom, and healing, which makes more sense for this particular envisioning. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> Them's that. Nice. <laughs> One thing that she did mention is Isla uses the horned serpent horn as part of Chadwick and Webster's wand core. Right. And because of that their wands were able to warn them of danger. They hummed a low note which it said was like what the horned serpent actually does to warn of danger as well. So that's an addition I guess she made. Can we always have a lore portion? I mean, I know it has nothing I'm to do with so Potter. I'm so on board with like, it. Like, <laughs> anytime you want to be Fantastic like, Mallory, oh tell me about gosh. who came up with this and this creature. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I will Google the crap out of it. <laughs> I'm so into this stuff. Uh, the next part of the story goes into Webster and Chadwick Boot. So the same hide behind that Isolt cursed when she was helping the Pukwudgie William. Same hide behind injured the two boys and killed their parents, which is heartbreaking. And together, William and Isolt killed it. Once and for all, the hide behind is gone. She took in the boys and convinced William to help her in order to repay his debt because he was kind of grumpy about it. And so finally, he did help her bring one of the boys back and she brought the other one back and then he left. So Isolt was super excited to know that the boot boys were actually magical, which is, you know, kind of lucky, I guess, Seriously. considering she had no idea. And their parents thought the hide behind was just a simple boggart. Um, they were wrong and suffered the consequences for it. So she went to bury their parents and met James Stewart, who is the ultimate cinnamon roll of this story. <laughs> um, he was just a simple nomad, a muggle, who discovered the parents um, when he went out to look for them because he missed the family he befriended on the ship. Aww. And so he found the parents dead and just dug them graves just by hand. And then picked up the wands and knocked himself out because he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> but my question is, does he? did he have any connections to anyone else on the ship? Like, did he leave behind family? Like, we don't know we don't anything, know anything about, about his about parentage. Him. Which is interesting because every other character in this, we know, you know, lineage backwards and forwards of the boot family of Isolt. And the one muggle we have, who's a prominent character, we know nothing about. He's just sort of there. Having missed the family he'd befriended on his journey to America, he found in the forest to search for him. Sounds like he came alone. Yeah, I just, he must have missed someone. I wish, I want to know more about James. <laughs> but it turns out he was a stonemason, so he helped entertain the boys with Isolt thinking, oh, I'll just obliviate him. But eventually it was easier just to admit that they fell in love. Um, he helped her build a house. She named it Ilvermorny after her own home, and eventually the two of them got married. So... Boys are dreaming of Hogwarts and the stories they had heard, so they decided, let's come up with our own four houses. So they chose their favorite magical creature, and we will talk about this later. Yeah, we're going to discuss the houses later, so we're just going to go ahead and move on to the next segment, which is the dream. On the evening of Chadwick's 11th birthday, Isolt had a dream where she went to the creek to visit the horned serpent who gave her a shard of its horn. So then she woke up and promptly did that and then used it to create a wand out of ashwood, and it says that it was exceptionally powerful. And then the reputation of the school started spreading. They had two Wampanoag boys and two Naranganset girls and their mother come to learn. And 
this is my favorite little mention um, of the Native American magic, is that they traded their own magical learning for the techniques of wand work. It was an exchange. It wasn't just like, oh, they don't know magic properly, right? So right. for me, I feel like they adopted, they must have adopted some sort of magical elements from the Native Americans Got to into their curriculum. Well, and I'm sure they both being from two different tribes, they had more tidbits that, you know, maybe one tribe didn't have right. or something. Right. Which I love. I missed that the first read through, so I'm so glad you brought it up. I also really love that James participated in making the wands for people, yeah. even though he was a nomad, because he knew how to work the wood and make it nice. I love that. Lesson. Yeah, he, they made wands for others, not from the horn serpent, because Isolde just felt like that was probably not a good idea. But she did it from wampus hair, spinelli gaster, heartstring. That would be oh, terrifying to have to. <laughs> anyway, good and jackalope antlers. And I noticed you didn't have that folklore. Jackalope! But I, I do. Oh, you do. Okay. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry, I didn't put a note in, so you had no way of knowing. No, but I researched it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's really not much to say about it other than it's just kind of a Great Plains and Western thing. It's just a jackrabbit with antlers on it. That's all it is. These taxidermist brothers in Wyoming <laughs> made it up in the 1930s, which again, after this story takes place, but that's fine. The U.S. legend may have originated also from sightings of rabbits with the uh, Shope papilloma virus, which mm. causes them to have these horn-like protuberances on different parts of their bodies. I saw some pictures of it. It's gnarly. It is <laughs> It's gross. Another just fun little tidbit about it is that the Chamber of Commerce in Jackson, Wyoming, issues jackalope hunting licenses, which are only good on June 31st, which does not exist, from midnight to 2 a.m., and the holder must have an IQ of between 50 and 72 in order to use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Wyoming. Yeah. Basically, my it's just like a tourist thing. <laughs> I did notice that they can imitate human voices. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. So, like, when the cowboys were on a campfire singing, the jackalope sang back. <laughs> um, apparently, they can only breathe during lightning flashes. I so like that. That's really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are rabbits. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, you have to entice it with whiskey in order to catch it. Again with the whiskey. <laughs> Part of me really just wants a jackalope Patronus. <laughs> Same. I just think they would be the funniest things. <laughs> so it's 1634. The school has grown, but there are still no borders. And by this time, Isolt, yep, I'm going to struggle with that, had twin girls, Martha and Reinach. Obviously, since Isolt named the school Ilvermorny, eventually when word spread, Gormley had heard about it and knew that it was her niece. So she disguised herself as a man, William Sayre, and traveled to Massachusetts on the ship Bonaventure. Um, Alexis, I'm just going to let you take this because ah! I can tell you're so excited. William Sayre is an actual person on the ship Bonaventure. And if you think about it, J.K. Rowling had to have that name in mind, have created a name for his daughter that could also become Elias Story on the Mayflower. So he had the words, uh, the letters that form the name Isolt, which is an actual Irish name. She just had to like make that all work together. And it's, it's crazy. Everything's an anagram. It's so good. Or just layers and actual layers. things. <laughs> it's really cool. It's really cool stuff. Just thinking about Gormley, they both traveled to the New World as a man. So I was wondering if that was just an easier way to get I there. I imagine it was a lot safer. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably. I can't imagine anybody letting a woman alone. Right. She yeah. would have to be accompanied by someone, especially, I mean, if you're on the Mayflower, there's Puritans, so. Yeah. They're going to be a little bit. Sticklers. Yeah. <laughs> but it does go to show the cunning of Slytherin, having blood in them, I guess, that oh, they were able true. to travel successfully in a guise. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Even though she might have been a Ravenclaw, she did have Slytherin tendencies. Um, so, of course, Gormley gets to Ilvermorny eventually. Uh, sends a curse to make Isolt and James sleep. And said a word in parcel tongue to make Isolt's wand become inactive, as it was Salazar Slytherin's wand. And apparently that was a protective charm on it from the get-go. Can you imagine? I love wand lore. I wand know. lore is my thing. Your thing is folklore, mine is folklore. <laughs> Tell me about the wand things. <laughs> so cool. The first thing I thought of when I heard about that was, what if that wand had stuck around? Can you imagine how hard Voldemort would have oh tried to gosh. get his hands oh on that wand? Oh my gosh. Right. To the point of trying to chop down it's that It's a tree. good thing she buried it. Mm -hmm. Chadwick and Webster's wands sense the danger 
because of the parcel tongue, which is very interesting. It shows that parcel tongue isn't always evil. It can be used for good. Um, so cool. And woke up the boys. And so Chadwick, who had nightmares about this woman, he had heard about it from just like Bannister listening, I guess, if you will. <laughs> first child reference. He heard about her, but never actually talked to his mother about her, but had nightmares, poor child. And when it finally happened, he went outside alone to face her. Oh, baby. And I think that's probably something to do with the Thunderbird house, but we'll get to that. And Webster eventually joined him when he couldn't wake Isolt and James. The boys had twin cores because their bonds were both made of the horn serpent horn, and their power increased tenfold because they had a common enemy, so that's pretty sweet. Wand lore, though. <laughs> that also, like, makes me think about how powerful Harry and Voldemort would have been if they had oh joined forces. Gosh. Because Voldemort yeah. was already one of the most powerful wizards in the world, and then yeah. Harry was talented. Had and, a proclivity. Yeah, I mean, relatively powerful. Right. And then if they were to join forces with two wands with the same core instead of fighting against each other. Whew. The boys are dueling. They get driven inside and break a window, I think, is what happened, which woke up the babies, and the cries woke their parents because of the power of love could break through this magic spell. Joe's mm-hmm. favorite. Yes. So James stayed inside with the babies, and Isolt went out to duel her aunt, but her wand would not work because it had been put to sleep. So they were all driven inside to the cribs where James was waiting. And can I just say how emotional I got over the fact that there was a character named James James who was standing, wandless, in front of the cribs, ready to die. Yeah, same. I also had an emotion about it. We're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Also, let's think about this. He is a nomad. He has no form of protection against this woman. And yet there he is. I just... Yeah. Mm. She cried out the name of her father, which is old. I thought of you when I read this because all I could think of was William. (laughs) (laughs) What am I missing? One of Alexis's favorite movies, if not her favorite movie, is A Knight's Tale. I'm so glad you thought of that. I wasn't going to mention it. (laughs) How could I not? I just need to find that clip and somehow insert that into our podcast. (laughs) Please do. All right, so set up the scene for me. Her wand doesn't work. Um, Who was driven into the cribs? Why? They oh. all basically were just they dueling, were around and they the kind cribs. of like just got pushed back and pushed back because they were on the defensive. Gotcha. And it was just the two boys, two teenagers against Gormley. And um, she calls out for William because she's just in desperation, and apparently that's the first name to come to mind. Which felt a little contrived to me, but whatever. Same. I'm like, I would say dad, but that works too. I guess she didn't know her dad very well. William the Puck Wedgie shows up. Takes a poison arrow, shoots Gormley, who apparently um, just explodes with dark magic. It just reminded me of the movie Bellatrix scene where yeah. she just sort of like shrivels up and poofs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> Excuse me, that's just very silly to me. <laughs> poof. <laughs> Evil poof. So I just thought it was very interesting that Gormley tried becoming an inv- invincible with dark magic, a la Voldemort, and therefore she burst like movie Bellatrix when she died. Part of me feels like she must have attempted a Horcrux. I wondered that too. I mean, she but was I also, I mean, evil. we know there are other ways of trying to extend your life besides right. just a Horcrux. But she's definitely, you know, not past that level of evil. Right. I wonder what she would have used for a Horcrux. I don't know. She's spitballing here. Let's say she didn't use a Horcrux, but she tried another way to make herself immortal. Mm-hmm. And this, the reaction to broken soul or whatever is just. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just kind of a common, I don't know. Am I stretching? Am I pulling this out of my butt? (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of Voldemort because he didn't have a body, right? He proved, technically. Correct. And that's why I had that thought, like, maybe she could still be partially alive and just, like, a ghost that's haunting the castle or Massachusetts or something. Hashtag bring Gormley back. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag or not. <laughs> She's Next terrifying. villain. I'm ready for it. Oh, boy. Oh, sorry. I was going to like mention this. James. <laughs> this is his first time meeting the Pukwudgie, William. And he has heard stories about him, thought he was super funny. And now he's here, saves the day. And he just thanks him and tells him how glad he was that he named his house after him. And William the Pukwudgie is like, oh, oh, really? He was like super flattered and his heart was softened. And so he decided to move his whole family of Pukwudgies into Ilvermorty the next day on the condition that they would get paid in gold. 
So he became the school's private security and maintenance service, which is differing from households because, one, gold, and two, they're a lot more visible to the students. It yeah. seems like they're less of a secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more of a, that's William. Good old William. Right. So they're there. Just they're don't there. make them mad. <laughs> yeah. Which is nice. I think that's really nice. Because they are in that in that spectrum between creature and and being, right? Yeah. And it's nice that they have their own kind of weird little quirky thing going on, kind of like peeves, but not as destructive mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. I love that they're like, yes, gold. It's like... It's interesting because it mentions in the writing that they look a little bit like a goblin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, goblins like gold. Goblins like gold. <laughs> Everything makes sense. It all <laughs> comes together in the end. Common ancestor. And so after the battle, Isolt tried to reactivate Slytherin's wand, but she could not speak parcel tongue. And she also kind of didn't want it anyway, just knowing its legacy. So she buried it instead, and it sprouted into a snakewood tree. And it resisted any attempt to prune or kill it. And its leaves later were shown to have powerful medicinal properties. Can I just ask you guys, I, I'm so confused about Isolt's relationship with Parseltongue. Does she just understand it and not speak it? Yeah, it sounds like she doesn't know so how does to she, speak it. So did she never actually communicate with the horned serpent and he just spoke to her? I think she did, but no one was around to tell her she was. Because you know how Harry uh, was like, I was that just makes telling sense. it to go away. And everyone's like, no, you were being freaking weird. Yeah, that's true. And like later when Harry was trying to do it, he had to like envision Focus. things as yeah. being a snake. He yeah. couldn't just do it. That makes more sense. Because I remember reading that, I was like, wait, she couldn't speak parcel tongue? I thought she could speak parcel tongue. I'm so confused. Uh And then there's a phrase in here where it says, the best of Slytherin migrated to America. I love that. So from there, the uh, school expanded to a castle. They recruited teachers, and it became a boarding school. Chadwick wrote a series of charms texts. Seven, of course, is the the number (laughs) of choice there. He's a successful wizard who married a Mexican healer named Josefina Calderon. Josefina Calderon. Excuse me. If he's Mexican. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's mentioned that their family is still one of America's most prominent families. Webster Booth became an horror for hire. He eventually, because he was getting someone out of the continent, uh, met a Scottish witch and returned to London or the UK. And his descendants were eventually educated at Hogwarts. So we know Terry Booth is one of them. Which I thought was adorable because I'm reading this story and I'm like, Booth. Boot is a last name. Oh, I've heard this. We know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. RP Alexis. Those Potter role plays. I had that one down. I was like, "Eh, it's the boots. (laughs) From the two daughters, Martha was a squib who married a nomad from the Pocomtec tribe and lived as a nomad there on after. She had a sad life in terms of living among magic and being unable to use it. You guys talked previously in another episode about we don't really know anything about the squib life in America, and yeah. I want to know. So then her sister, Rionok, um, taught Defense Against the Dark Arts at Ilvermorny, and she never married. It was rumored that she was able to speak Parseltongue, and she did not want to pass on the Slytherin ancestry. That's sad. It is, and it's also kind of pointless because her sister still got married and presumably had children and we know that like no match born children often come from squib ancestry so the Slytherin line was passed down and probably popped up and returned to Ilvermorny at some point right gotta be yeah I thought it was very interesting that she feared extending the Slytherin line because she knows the best of that line like, yeah we just discussed like oh the best of it went to America I mean she did and so this kind almost... of experienced the horror of Gormley yeah. but she was an infant and she might have heard stories about it, but I like to think that you can, like, instead of thinking, this line is cursed, I don't want to extend it, being like, let's change yeah. this, like, let's change what this line means and show what Slytherin can do for the good. It's a shame you weren't in her place, Alexis. I uh... Yeah, you're strong <laughs> and brave. <laughs> yeah. And then Izzel and James lived as joint headmasters of Ilvermorny and lived to be over 100 years old. They had a muggle headmaster. I'm so happy about it. I love that idea. Okay, Ilvermorny today is one of the most democratic, least elitist of the great wizarding schools. I love that. There are four huge carvings of the mascots in a circular room that chose the students for their houses. Give me a book. Give me a book. (laughs) (laughs) Same. I really hope they they show some part of Ilvermorny in Fantastic Beasts. I feel like they have got to. They've got to, right? 
So Serafina Pickery, who is in Fantastic Beasts, um, she was offered all four houses, and it was only one of her generation to, to have had that. She chose the Horned Serpent. Represent! I think this is very interesting. It's slightly different from Hogwarts, where Hogwarts is like one sentient entity telling you where you belong. This is four different ones saying, hey, I'll take you. Yeah. And so it's kind of nice. Students receive a wand after they're sorted. Until Rappaport's Law was repealed in 1965, students had to leave their wands at school during the summer. That law will still be intact through all, all of Fantastic Beasts unless the films span over 40 years, which is highly doubtful. Yeah, I doubt it. So, interesting thought. The robes are blue and cranberry, and they are fastened with a gold Gordian knot. Can I just say that all of James' choices feel so arbitrary? I love them. <laughs> are you kidding? Pie? I'm like, yes! He's like, Pukwaji, because I, I, he's probably cool. The stories make me laugh. Cranberry, because I like cranberry pie? When I read through the story. It's adorable, but also like, what? <laughs> this is your school! I read Generations! <laughs> Sorry, anyway. <It's> okay. <laughs> I read through the story before taking the sorting, and the whole time I was like, I am James Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Because pie. (laughs) Cranberry and blue. I just think that they're so pretty, especially with the The Gordian Gordian knot. knot. Mm -hmm. That just sounds so beautiful. Like, take me. I want you. (laughs) I want to be part of your school. Give me those robes. I will buy them. Okay, so the Pukwudgies still work at the school. There's one very old one named William who denies he's the original William, but... Will not let anyone else clean a silk statue and leaves Mayflowers at her grave every year. So obviously it's really him. Yeah. Great. Okay. Houses. I'll take Horned Serpents. You should. Yes, please. Um, It represents the mind and favors scholars founded by Isolt herself, who wanted to be a Ravenclaw when she heard about Hogwarts as a child. The whole thing about warning of danger with a low hum from the wands is cool. That's, pr- I mean, we already talked about the lore of the house, so there's right. not a whole lot more to say. Go house. Yay, <laughs> go horn serpent. <laughs> and then I am a little bit fond of being sorted as a Pukwudgie because it represents the heart. We all know that I am very driven by the heart, so that felt very true to me. And it favors healers, and that is, in fact, what I favor in my own life. So I thought that that was precious. Yay. Founded by James Stewart, who was amused by the stories of William, therefore name, and they are usually grumpy and want nothing to do with lizard kind, also same, and <laughs> in- independent, tricksy, and pretty much, like we talked about, arbitrary pick. Yeah, that's the thing, because it does mention at the end, like, they unknowingly chose mascots that corresponded well with their character, and I'm yeah. just like, okay, but James, and a Pukwudgie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, for all we know, maybe he was a grumbler. He was I grumpy. mean, he was, okay. he, I mean, we know that he was a wonderful person, but from day to day, maybe he was just kind of like, a, oh, like I've got to deal with pie. all this, I'm just a simpler stone mason, <laughs> I didn't sign up for all this magic and the house getting set on fire and there's kids ending up on the roof and got to climb up the tree to get the twins down. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very different Jane Stewart in my head. <laughs> but Who fair, knows? But very fair. Um, then is Thunderbird, which I do have lore for, but it's quick. We already talked a little bit about how in some versions it was the enemy of the horned serpent. Um, this one is also very widespread among many Native American tribes. It's described as a huge bird, huge, large enough to carry a killer whale in its talons. So, like, Whoa. huge nice. bird. Um, in the Algonquin lore, it controls the upper world while the underworld is controlled by the horned serpent. It throws lightning at underwater creatures and creates thunder by flapping its wings. There are a lot of really cool just like story stories you can read about this. So I will put some links in the description because there's lots of really interesting ones and they vary a lot. So they're worth a read. forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, it was a house that was founded by Chadwick, who is the elder brother, who's intelligent but often temperamental, um, became a well-traveled wizard. And like I said, he confronts his nightmare head-on, which I feel like it must have something to do with the adventurous nature of the Thunderbird. Oh yeah, we neglected to mention that it represents the soul and favors adventurers. Right. The Wampus uh, House represents the body and favors warriors. That one was founded by the younger brother, Webster, who was argumentative but fiercely loyal and became that R for hire. Which I feel like is the closest I'm ever going to get to my wizard and cowboys. 
So now in my brain, the Wampus House is like the cowboy house. Yeah. It's just entirely me, like, making up my own thing, but I'm running with it. Love it. That's the house we know the least about, so I'm really curious to know if we'll get more information on this soon. I hope so. The big question on everyone's mind when these first came out was, how do the Hogwarts houses and the Ilvermorny houses interact? A lot of people were trying to force the Ilvermorny houses into Hogwarts houses, or even just, like, this is a mixture between... Hufflepuff and Slytherin, or mm-hmm. Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. Which I, I totally understand. I get that. It's, you're trying to, you have, like, this basis of knowledge, and you're trying to, like, bring in this new knowledge, right? Right. But part of me feels like it's taking two different personality tests, right? Like Totally. They might overlap in some ways. Like, I am a blue, and also an INFJ. Emotions. <laughs> I mean, mine overlap really easily, but I basically the nerd house in both of them it's like mm-hmm. the brains the brains right right and, and maybe it says natural. different things about like you know what you value or necessarily like what you're good at but it's still the same thing so i was like okay well that works yeah so for me i love the fact that they aren't the same because you're able to take like for instance if someone was a ravenclaw um and then they're also a wampus, like they're going to be using their smarts in a very different way, I feel right. like, than if they were a Thunderbird or if they were a Horned Serpent. I feel right. like this also correlates to how people have a kind of dilemma when sorting themselves into Hogwarts houses because you're kind of, if you're doing it when you're older, trying to retroactively mm-hmm. do it. Like, do I sort myself according to how I was when I was 11 or do I do it now? Or like, can I even sort myself according to how I was when I was 11? It's kind of the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. there's just different things you have to take into account, and we don't really know which ones would be the actual case. So people just kind of interpret it however they will. Yeah. And then get mad at the online quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm on your side, Alexis. I think that it's, now that it's we've had some time, it's perfect in my mind that they have crossover, but they're not the same on any level. Mm-hmm. That is what I appreciate so much, I guess, is that it's... It's so different. It shows the different, like, everybody can have two things that coexist and it's just fine kind of thing. Does that make sense? Two yeah, yeah. veins of personality that can run at the same level. Right. If that makes sense. And part of me feels like they're not even judging the same thing. Like, for me, and I know Mallory also, you're the values, right? Yeah. Like for Hogwarts houses, Mallory and I feel like they're based on what you value as opposed to maybe what you are. Um, hmm. And I think... In valuing things, you spend time trying to develop those traits. And so it would make sense that, you know, most Gryffindors would be brave if they value bravery so much, even though they might not be initially that brave. (laughs) Neville. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. So the question for me is, Ilvermorny, like, is that value-based or is that more of, like, a first instinct? Because I go straight to, like, the... it's. The body, right? It's the mind, the heart, the soul, and the body. It feels more instinctive. Like, what part of you are you going to instinctively delve into when a situation arises? Right. What's the first thing you do? Is it physical, like, just head-on interacting with it? I don't know how soul works. That's (laughs) fairly vague. Yeah, I don't know either. Intuition, maybe? Like, how how would you instinctively solve something? Yeah. Is it, is it your mind? Kinda, or maybe it's just a broader thing. Like, what is a person's general nature? It's hard to weed that out. We don't know enough, I think. We need more. <laughs> we need more. There is a link I will link everyone to on Reddit um, from back when this was huge, two months ago, where someone <laughs> tried to figure out each personality types in Myers-Briggs, how that goes with a house and... Because there's 16 variations of House in Ilvermorny and House in Hogwarts that can happen, and 16 different personality types in Myers Briggs. Mm-hmm. So they try to match them up. And it was an interesting read. It was However, it did not match me at all. So yes. I was like, eh. Yeah. In fact, I want to look at it again now to make sure I'm remembering that it was as wrong as it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine was Slytherin and Pekwaji. And I don't know. You'll just read it. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, I went back to my Twitter when I first read everything because I had so many <laughs> fresh thoughts that I really liked. Um, so I want to ask you guys some questions. Oh. Or bring up some points, too. So I thought it was interesting how the different founding stories of each of the schools, um, how they how they differed. So Ilvermorny founders were united as a family, whereas Hogwarts was founded on disagreements over who to accept into the school. So <laughs> that in itself is 
it, feel, it feels really Hufflepuff <laughs> of like <laughs> over morning automatically you took the lot and treated them all the same in a way um, yeah, and like they only had the houses because the boys were like, "Well, we got to do it like Hogwarts. We got to have four houses." It's got to be a competition. Yeah, sports. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's awesome how they still recognize all the students are different, and those dif- differences are good and important. But also, everyone contributes to the greater whole when they're all together. So it's not like your differences make you worse off. Like my differences are better. It's more of like you can't have the body without the heart or the soul without the mind. Mm-hmm. Like, you need everyone together in order to be unified and strong. That reminds me of a theory I read once where what if, like, instead of separating people into their houses when they are put into their dorms, they all had to, like, be in a dorm with one person of each house oh, to, like, make I them... I love that theory. And that, I mean, they were talking about Hogwarts when they talked about that, but that fits in really well with what wow. you're talking about here, about how... You know, they would force them to use their that. different traits to help each other out and everything. And Oh, my gosh. Headcanon. Headcanon. Right? <laughs> it would be cool. Also, I'm just another. I'm devastated if that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> another random headcanon I have is that the Native American students back in this day, at least, would have been really, really good at Quidditch because a lot of them played. I mean, I don't know what it was called, but kind of like the Native American origins of lacrosse. Which I feel like would make you really good at Quidditch if you oh. were a wizard. I kind of always wondered if Quidditch was kind of one of those colonialist things, though, from Britain itself. Could be. Um, another question I had is, I just find it really interesting, knowing the Fantastic Beasts um, scenario, which we know actually in the 20s reading from last week. Um, they became very strictly averse to no matches around th- that era. Right. How did that happen when one of the founders of Ilvermorny was a no-match himself? Yeah, like, he must have just been some grand exception, I guess. Because he was married to Isolde. Yeah. And he was kind of in charge of all of the education of their children, so what were they going to do? For me, it it reminds me of Hamilton. <laughs> Let <laughs> me <off>. explain. <laughs> <laughs> Where Hamilton is almost this commentary, and I don't know a lot about Hamilton, so forgive me if I'm completely wrong, of... um. How the United States was created by immigrants. How have we come to the point of kicking immigrants out or, like, thinking lesser of immigrants? Right. Right? It's almost this, like, social commentary of, wow, how far have... Like, look how far we've come in the wrong direction. Preach. Celeste is over here doing an agreement dance. Preach. (laughs) So, in that case, like, if you flip it on the wizarding side, like, wow, look, we started off with a nomad, like as a founder of the school, and all of a sudden, we can't talk to them. Yeah. Like, we obviously knew that he had value. Like, James must have had some sort of value. He created the freaking school. Like, he created the wands for all of the kids. And yet, they're no longer worthwhile. Or, like, it's scary to the point of not not wanting those benefits from... Yeah. It's very J.K. Rowling's brand of social commentary. So Definitely. I appreciate that she's continued that in this. Yeah. Definitely. I really hope that we get more about James and about Chadwick and Webster and Isolt. I just, I kind of hope that Newt has to go back to the origins and figure out how to solve the problem, you know what I mean? Because we're learning so much about them. I just, it pains me to think that it's just for funsies and not for, like, if you read Pottermore, you know more crap about the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I need that to happen just because I, I am a little bit elitist that way. But <laughs> Yeah, I want him to visit Ilvermorny and also interact with the house mascots. Like, not the mascots. like Themselves, but the creatures. Right, the creatures. Right. Maybe that's how he learns about Pukwa Jesus. He goes to Ilvermorny. That's true. There is a, quite a concentrated population there. Right. Head cannon accepted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our segment, the Scorpiusism of the Week. Alexis, take it away. Okay, I have two, but they're interrelated. So it's just the general commentary. Right. It's just a general um, Scorpius. <laughs> <laughs> Scorpius is such a nerd. And I love it. And these two quotes are just exemplary of that. So it's him saying, oh, a quiz. Just being so excited about having a quiz. Was that when he was in Hermione's office? or Probably. I, I think Albus did it a few times. Like, okay, here's a quiz. Like, trying to get him involved. <laughs> or trying to, like, <laughs> okay, now focus. We have a quiz. You gigantic nerd. <laughs> 
Yeah. So that's it, it makes it more fun for Scorpius when Albus is like doing these drastic things that Scorpius is uncomfortable with. He's like, okay, let's just put this in quiz format for you. <laughs> And the other one is when he's in the darkest timeline and, like, one of the students is doing his homework for him. And he's like, I know you hate homework. And Scorpius is like, I hate homework? (laughs) Bless. What? (laughs) So, anyway, I would have sorted him into the horned serpent house. But uh, let's be honest, the puck wedgie would have raised his his arm in wanting him to because he has such heart. Um, I definitely can't see him in Thunderbird or Wampus, though. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Quidditch start timeline would have gone okay in Wampus, but... Right. Yeah, no. (laughs) The next one is our Pensieve. I just want to take a minute. I have known these two beautiful people, Miss Mallory and Mrs. Alexis, for a while, and... I basically begged them to have me on this podcast, which is not not true. No, I did because... We put out the call saying if anyone's interested, and she's like, I'd be interested. So I was like, okay, you're signed up. We're doing it for real. I mean, I I guess I struggle feeling like I have anything to contribute, but I do dearly love your podcast because I am not a podcaster in the original. I thought that everybody who listened to podcasts were nerds, and then you guys, like, we're doing a podcast, and I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately downloads podcasts and listens to uh, Worshipfully. So I just want to say thanks for having me on the show. Hopefully we can do this again. This has been a blast and a half. Of course. And um, since I am the fan here, I will say that this has been really fun. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are so grateful to have you here. Honestly, you've been a gem. Um, I don't notice any comments. So, guys, please talk to us. (laughs) We really do want to talk about this stuff. That's why we're doing it. If you're listening, send commentary. Trust me, they're not scary. They're very nice. They want to hear what you have to say, and just take it from me and sprout off your strange head cannons, and they will go. Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Most likely, yes. (laughs) Uh, If Twitter's too short for you, like, you can leave a novel in the comment section of our website. Honestly, I love reading novels. And there's Facebook, too. Like, just go to Facebook message. So on that note, um, just to remind you where you can find us, we're on Twitter at NewtCasts with an S, uh, Facebook slash NewtCast, and at NewtCast.com. In case you, you know, want to chat with us. Next time on Newcast, we are going to be, as we said, talking about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the textbook. We're going to probably get into some more lore, knowing me. I'll try to, like, winnow it down a little bit this time. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) 